You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Assembly Call Radio is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. Let's start with a question. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big that they feel like they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? The real question is how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? So why is SeatGeek better than the rest? Well, a quick look at the App Store shows over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? And they get these reviews because they provide a better process. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web. Then it rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And finally, SeatGeek displays these deals and the tickets on an interactive seat map. So you can see exactly where you'd be sitting. SeatGeek breaks down the details. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. As I've told you many times, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. It is by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. Uh, I found tickets for a concert my wife and I are going to go to there. I'm going to do it again later this summer because we're going to try and go to a lot of concerts this summer. Uh, So I'll be using the SeatGeek app uh, when I get those. And that's why I recommend that you should as well. And here's the thing. SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. All right. And now here is this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the never-dull world of Indiana basketball, although the offseason may be uh, challenging that notion that it's never dull. This is our 123rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 515th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 23rd, 2019. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Who's Your Proud Banner moment. And for me, you know, again, I feel like this is the case a lot in the offseason where there's not a whole lot to hit on. Uh, but, but this week, I found myself, whether it be for work, for school events, for carpooling, in the car quite a bit, which allowed me to get caught up on some of the latest interviews that the guys at the uh, Who's Your Hysterics have done. And for those who, who haven't listened to any of those, uh, I would definitely recommend it. They all tend to be a little bit lengthy, uh, but good conversation with some former IU players uh, from, from further back, from you know my, uh, my formative years, perhaps. And then uh, the last couple that I listened to were uh, very recent players in Zach McRoberts and Juwan Morgan. And uh, there were a lot of good things to, to take away from those interviews, and we'll touch on those here in a few minutes. Uh, but the one that really stood out to me as a potential banner moment was that both guys 
talked about the maturity and the and the bright future of Rob Finnessy at the point guard position. And I think that's something that everybody who's a fan of the program saw and embraced as he entered the program, assumed the the starting point guard role pretty early on. And had it not been for the concussion, would have held that throughout the the entirety of his his true freshman season. So it's easy to look at a guy like that and spin things forward and uh, and get excited about what you have. But to hear uh, other players who were around him on a day-to-day basis just talk about his uh, leadership. Juwan singled him out as a guy who would really be one of the leaders of the team next year, even as a sophomore. Uh, I think that bodes well, because when you look down, yeah, if this segment is truly about hanging another banner, you, you don't look down too many of the recent national champions and say that team didn't have a really good point guard. doesn't necessarily mean that point guard was the absolute best player on the team, led the team in scoring or anything like that in every case. But you certainly had a number of steady players running those teams and leading them to that uh, the national championship and, and to success. And that's something that becomes really important at really every level of basketball. You see it in college, you see it in the NBA. You, know, you certainly see it at lower levels as well. And so uh, to have guys who are around him really feel that strongly about him and the, and the positive comments and uh and their kind of positive look forward for what his career is going to be uh, i think in a lot of ways echoes what iu fans have seen from him thus far uh and to me bodes really well for the future and uh it's hearing comments like that that get me uh excited for the season even though it's here in you know mid to late may um but you start to to listen to those guys talking about what some of these guys can become and it makes you wish that time over the summer would go a little bit quicker and let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show, who does not want the uh, summer to go fast, as a uh, as a teacher who is joining us on his last day with uh, with students. Uh, and I did say that that was a singular co-host. Jared is off with his wife at a concert with tickets. I can only assume were purchased via SeatGeek. And Ryan is probably sleeping because he's been getting up early every day this week to host a morning radio show in San Diego. So to my left, he's a longtime high school basketball coach in Indiana, the founder of the Delphi Bracketology Club and the host of Sports Talk with Tonsoni. It's the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and that means it's Tonsoni time. So coach, what is on your mind tonight? Thanks, Andy. You know, it's hard to come up with topics every week when, you know, the offseason, the players aren't even working out and you're not getting some updates. The thing that I keep looking for is, is, is that uh, 12th scholarship going to be filled by a, a grad transfer, and I, I see some grad transfers visiting here and there, and and trying to find some word on who might be filling that twelfth, or is Archie going to leave uh, two scholarships open? That's the main topic from Indiana basketball standpoint. And then, anytime I get worried about that, I start thinking of Tim Priller and Jeremiah April, uh, two, two uh, young men, good young men, who are asked to fill the twelfth and thirteenth scholarships in a certain year, and and one of them stayed for four years and had limited playing time. So that's a little bit above my pay grade to understand how best to fill the 12th and the 13th uh, scholarship. The other thing, I had some uh, opportunity to have some discussions with some former uh, Indiana basketball managers, one who just recently finished his work and spent uh, three years with Tom Crean and two years uh, with Archie Miller. And, and I can tell you from the inside, uh, without giving up too much uh, personal conversation, the, the young man who spent two years with Archie Miller has nothing but great things to say about Coach Miller, uh, how he respects the managers, how he runs the program. Uh, and it, it was nice to hear from uh, an inside source that 
Coach Miller is, is doing a lot of good things to build the program in the right way, and that's not just you know our bias coming through or our fanboy or whatever people want to accuse us of being, that uh, you know there, there's some actual progress, I think, being made, and, and there is some candid conversations about hoping that uh, things get a lot better in a hurry and, and wanting Archie to, to be successful. And this young man uh, was going to graduate with my son and, and took a fifth year of graduate work just simply to be around Archie Miller again. And so those are some of the stories that I like to get out that, uh, you know, the first two years have been real tough and, and Archie needs to turn it around and he needs to win. And that's the bottom line. But those are the things that I'm thinking here uh, as uh, May ends and we're heading into the summer. All right, so here's what we're going to cover this week. Uh, we'll hit some Hoosier headlines, first of all, uh, which includes uh, an all-time IU dunk being crowned, some interesting comments from Juwan Morgan. Uh, we'll then talk about the Big Ten's two new coaches for next season and the impact that we expect them to have now that the Michigan job was filled earlier this week. And finally, we'll answer as many of your questions as we can get to. So all of that will be coming up this week on Assembly Call Radio. So in terms of the headlines, you know, when I mentioned uh, all-time dunk being crowned, the uh, the Twitter poll bracket, whatever you want to call it, uh, finished up, and, and Will Sheehy did win that. So we'll keep everybody in the loop on that. Much to Ryan chagrin, the Marco Killingsworth dunk did not uh, did not win, uh, but that one did did win. But I wanted to get into a little bit more uh, of that Juwan Morgan conversation that I mentioned. Uh, Zach McRoberts was on as well with the Hoosier hysterics. Um, so I, I'm going to jump first to to Demizi. Um, Juwan really predicted a breakout. Uh, campaign from him as a sophomore and and told a story about his competitiveness that I think was really specific to Romeo that I, I if I'm remembering it correctly um, really tried to ratchet up his defensive play and, and things like that when he was playing against Romeo and so I thought that was interesting because that you know from a, a guy who had a lot of opportunities last year because of the injuries to you know to try to earn minutes I think that was a struggle at times for him uh, getting things right on the defensive end and then uh, you know, really being, you know, at times too willing to shoot and at other times uh, not willing enough to shoot. That was another story that Juwan told where he had, you know, given him a couple passes in a game and he passed up open shots and they, you know, had an exchange after that about really being being willing to shoot. But uh, Coach, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to that interview yet, but but what, uh, that surprised you to hear Demisi as a guy that was singled out uh, by someone like Juwan as a, as a potential breakout guy coming into next year? Not really, and I'll go on record. I have just listened to bits and pieces of it, uh, trying to, to prepare for tonight's show. I haven't listened to all of it. But here's the thing about Demisi is that freshman basketball, when you transfer from it, from high school basketball to college basketball, is a huge jump. And for someone like Demisi, it took a lot of time to get used to playing at that level. And he was not ready this year. And that is that happens to a lot of freshmen playing at that level. And I know there are five stars that go to Kentucky and, and the Penny Hardaway 19 scholarship rule that they get 19 five stars in, uh, that some of those guys are going to come in and play well right from the start. But a majority of young men take some time, and each one is a different story. And I think Demisi had started out defensively. I think he lost some confidence because he struggled defensively, and then his strength of the offensive game went away. So while maybe not listening to the whole story. If that is true, that bodes well for Indiana because of the need for shooting. And one of the things that coaches really like is competitiveness. And if someone's saying that he's trying to compete, he is going to get better. It's just a matter of how much and will, when will he be ready? Will he be ready in November? Will it be January? Will it be a breakout year? 
for him. It might even be a junior year for, for the young man. And that is a typical college basketball career. Uh, a lot of freshmen and the freshmen that I've dealt with on our level are tentative. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot different than the level that they've played before. And you want to make sure you're doing the right things and your natural instincts are somewhat hindered just by the, the sheer fact that you're playing in front of 16, 17,000 people for a lot of uh, important games. And so hopefully he learned a lot about himself, but the key word there was for me is competitiveness. And if that is true, that is more of an Archie type of guy. That's probably why Demisi didn't entertain any chances of leaving. That, uh, and that means that you know, players have a chance to get better, and we'll have to see it on the court to be sure just from an interview on a podcast from a, a player doesn't, doesn't mean a whole lot. But that's a, that's a great story. And, and when I read the, the, our script and, and heard that, I thought, okay, that, that's going to be – that's going to be a big plus as everyone's kind of freaking out about shooters and only having 11 people on our roster. And he's kind of been dismissed as an important piece. If he can get in and do give quality minutes, that just makes Indiana basketball a lot better next year. Well, especially with one of the questions being Jerome Hunter's health. And, and at this point, if the roster is what it will end up being heading into next season, there isn't a ton of guard and wing depth. So, you know, his development is, is one that, probably didn't get a ton of thought from people heading into the, you know, heading into the off season just because uh, of the, the somewhat limited role that he played last year, but it does, uh, you know, now it gives you something else to watch for uh, in the off season. They did ask both guys around, uh, you know, chemistry of last year's team. Uh, I think Juwan described, uh, I think year before last is some of the better chemistry that they've, they've had, but they both really downplayed uh, any impact of that talk to Juwan a little bit about who he thought the leaders would be on next year's team and essentially initially led in with that being Duran and Devante as the seniors, but he actually uh, singled out Rob, as I, as I mentioned in the opening and Al, uh, Al, he said kind of from a, you know, vocal standpoint and a, uh, you know, kind of emotional leader and that those guys would be, uh, you know, perhaps be the, the, the guys that would be classified most as leaders. Um, the, I don't think Rob, uh, I don't know that either one of those really surprised me a ton. I think Rob showed some of that as a freshman. I think it was a difficult position to be in a true leadership role uh, as a freshman. And I don't know that Al really surprised me either, um, you know, given his improvement and just his intensity that, that seemed to be there last year. Anything stand out from that to you? And you think that's, is that an uh, issue is probably too strong a word, but is that, uh, does that signal anything to you if it's not the seniors who end up being the leaders or is that kind of an overblown narrative that doesn't really mean a whole lot? I, I think there's a lot to that, and, and I'm not sure that it's all good. I'm not sure it's all bad either. Being a sophomore and a junior sometimes can be very hard to be leaders, and, and maybe college is a lot different because they're a little bit older and there's a little bit more maturity. But sometimes it's hard for underclassmen to lead seniors. So that, that's a concern that it would be Rob and L being the leaders and leaving out two seniors. It, it also t speaks a little bit of, about the seniors. Devontae's had his issues um, with, with style of play and the suspension and some of those things. And that, that, that takes away leadership, even if he could be a good vocal leader. That demonstration of that struggle in the past uh, is not something that you look for in a leader. And, and Deron Davis, simply maybe because of the injuries and not always being out there, that, that factors in, too, to, to the leadership decision. But 
the, the positive is that is you always want your point guard to be one of your leaders and a vocal person. And, and I worried a little bit about uh, Rob being a, it just seemed like a quiet personality. If, if his teammates are looking at him and Jawan's looking at him as possibly, that speaks volumes too about his improvement and also about why Indiana struggled when he was out and, and then limited in the two or three games coming back and finding his role again, because maybe he was um, a little bit more important than we already thought he was. And, and Al just seems to have that personality that uh, of a leader, too. So it's good to hear that those two, because I think they're the best two. Uh, it's a little concerning that you got to go down to a sophomore and junior, but those are also guys closer to being Archie guys. Uh, Al never played uh, for anyone else, and so that speaks. Uh, they're buying into the program, and they're going to make sure they do things the Archie Miller way. That's a positive as well. Yeah, and I think you know, I think you worry a little bit about what you said with Rob, where he's a quieter guy, but I think Al makes up for that. So maybe in in tandem, uh, that ends up being a good good combination. Uh, a couple other quick things about Juwan. Uh, again, I would encourage everybody to listen to the whole thing because I'm sure we've missed with some parts here and there. Uh, they talked to him about the Devonte Green suspension, um, and, and essentially revealed what everybody. Uh, already suspected in terms of it being a drug test. But the interesting thing to me was that, that Devante had come to Juwan and Juwan and, and basically said he knew he was going to fail the test. Juwan then t- basically told him his advice was, hey, go come clean to the coaches before the test. And I thought that was, uh, you know, says a lot about Juwan. The other thing about Juwan that was a little bit more lighthearted, but was kind of funny, they talked about him having almost like a photographic memory. So for a little bit, they went down and like would just call out a series of games. And while it's easy to remember your stat line from games that you played really well in, so for, for Juwan, that was you know any Crossroads Classic game, um, he, he had a, an uncanny ability to remember his stats and basically said, like, if somebody had showed him a box score that he, you know, just kind of committed some of that stuff to memory. And there were times where he, I felt like he said, like, oh, I had seven or eight rebounds, but he, and he was right that it was seven or eight, but I feel like he really knew and was trying to downplay the fact that he didn't know. Um, but it was kind of funny to have him go through it and, and listen to that. So just a good... Uh, you know, an engaging kid talked about uh, how, you know, growing up different places in the military, uh, moving around with his family had, had helped him uh, at times. He and OG's relationship uh, over the course of time, it was, a, it was definitely a good listen. So I would, uh, would encourage everybody to look at that. Uh, the, the other thing that we had in here before we take a break, uh, Victor Oladipo basketball fantasy experience. Uh, for those of you who've got an extra four grand laying around that want to... Uh, go any of those like a coaching part and a player part i think there's even some type of uh expanded package for that so a cool experience for sure one that i will not actually be experiencing based on uh based on financial constraints of the situation but uh seems like a cool experience coach you uh you you ponying up any money to go to uh any of the the victor events there man it takes me a lot of energy to gear up to run upstairs for a sandwich (laughs) i don't know that i could pay four thousand dollars to exercise (laughs) you know (laughs) Uh, I don't even exercise to, to get healthy. So, um, no, that's, you know, you'd, you'd like to, that would be a great experience. Um, one that I'd probably have to take a couple years to, to get in shape, uh, just to be able to play some minutes. And, and I think that's, I, I think that's just a cool experience for those that can afford it. Uh, and Victor for being part of the thing. And, and one last thing about the previous conversation, I, Joel from, in, uh, Bloomington always tells me he sees Al in the gym all the time. And a lot of the players go in and work on their game and work on them a lot. But it seems to me that you want your leader to be the one who's leading by example, getting in the gym. And so that's where I think L's leadership, uh, and I forgot to mention that uh, when, when you asked, really shows when 
Juwan's picking him out, and I hear from people around town that they constantly see him going into uh, Cook Hall. That that bodes well, and 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 that kind of is like how Victor was. And uh, you know, you don't have to pay four thousand to go into Cook Hall when you're a player. You just got your swab key and and go in. But <laughs> um, no, so that all of that's uh, been been really good to read about and and listen to. All right, well, coming up here on the assembly call, there will be two new coaches in the Big Ten next season, so we'll discuss what we know about each guy and how we expect those two teams to do next year and beyond. And we'll also hit on an article, also coaching-related, that was out on ESPN this week, part of their Chasing Ghost series uh, and about you know guys following after Bob Knight. So uh, we'll hit a number of coaching topics when we come back. Stick with us here on the assembly call. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to participate in our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Andy Bottoms here with Coach Brian Tonsoni. Uh, and, and Coach, we're going to hit on a number of uh, coaching-related topics, I guess, in this, in this segment. The first of which was an article that came out on ESPN this week. They're doing a Chasing Ghost series. And in this case, it was talking about whether IU's ever really moved on uh, beyond Bob Knight. And so they basically went through and profiled the guys who had, uh, who had, who've been, been at IU after them. Uh, before we get into what these, you know, roundtable questions were, and I, we won't hit all of them. Um, people can certainly go and, and read that if they want to. John Gasquay had some stuff in there that I think uh, Alex Bozich, uh, you know, mentioned on Twitter. I think John always has a good uh, balanced perspective on things and, and, makes for an interesting read but any kind of overarching thoughts on the on the story before we get into any of the particulars yeah i think i think it's very hard to follow a legend and i think programs really need to be careful and do things right after a legend is let go or retires and not only was the whole night thing kind of controversial not kind of it was controversial i think the series of decisions in the coaching higher and how those coaches coaches played out really have set Indiana basketball uh, back from its blue blood status. Is that a ghost of night? Uh, I don't think so. I think that's far enough back that, that Indiana can recover and should recover and stop using that as an excuse. But I do think it's difficult and it needs to be managed correctly. And if I were critical of Indiana University, which is hard for me, I don't think it was handled right in the first 10 years. And, and that truly has has caused some issues. Uh, I, that's just the best that I can I can say. I, I still don't think his shadow is is hurting Archie in any way at this point. Yeah, it was it, it was interesting. One of the roundtable questions to, to, that I think hits well in what you said was was beginning with Knights firing right through to the present day. What would you cite as the single most dubious decision that has prevented Indiana from maintaining a consistent place among the college basketball elite? I think two of the three people said it was uh, hiring Kelvin Sampson uh, to replace Mike Davis, and I believe, I believe the third. I think Myron Metcalf basically alluded to the penalties that um, the school put on itself. Uh, follow, you know, with the the phone calls with Sampson, those definitely feel to me like the two obvious choices. Do you kind of fall more firmly in in one camp than the other? I mean, I guess on on the one hand, 
you could say, well, if you never hired Samson, then you wouldn't have had to do the, you wouldn't have ever had a chance to do the thing that was the, uh, the other option in that scenario. But, or, or would you go off the board with a different decision that you really felt kind of set the, set things in, in motion to be where they are now? Yeah. I'm going to say Samson, and I, and I thought at the time Samson was a great coach, and I still think he's a great X and O coach. But I, I think the other things, the, the type of players he brought in and the fact that, that uh, there was a great season going on and then it got derailed and, and then Cream had to be hired and the sanctions happened, I think that was the thing. But to be all honest, um, and, and Mike Davis, I have a lot of respect for Mike Davis. That had to be a tough assignment. And I understand why he was given the job on, on an interim basis to keep the team together and, and move forward. But I think that his six years um, were really a little bit too long. And Indiana, after two or three years of Mike Davis, should have really been, uh, you know, really, really cognizant of who they were going to hire after that. And, and I, I just don't think Samson, with, with his baggage, was correct uh, at the time. And then... Tom Crean coming in, it wasn't a set. Oh, I think Coach Crean's a good guy, and I think he worked really hard. Uh, but obviously, you know, I, I talk foundation, Andy. Uh, Mike Davis had the foundation from night and, and went to a Final Four, but he didn't have the experience. And then the foundation of the type of players, the recruiting under both Sampson and Crean, were not what Indiana basketball is built on. And that's, you know, doing things right and getting good players and a lot of players from Indiana. And that's what Archie Miller is starting to do now. And I just think it's going to take more time than any of us ever thought to right the ship and do it correctly. But I think the previous three coaches, well-intentioned, good men, did not do what needed to be done. And, and that's the fault of administration, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the thing with, with Samson, you didn't have to I, – I, first, I 100% agree with you. I think from an X's O standpoint, he's he continues to do a really good job i mean his success at houston speaks to that but i don't think you had to you didn't have to squint to see a scenario where things might go awry based on the way that he kind of ran programs and things like that so to me that was an avoidable scenario that you you know maybe to the extent that things ended up up being like you you but you probably could have seen that coming to a large extent and i think that's really what you know, if I had to pick one, that that would be it. And then I think you put yourself in a position where uh, you, you really can't afford to make mistakes. And we've seen other programs do that in hiring guys where you, you know, continue to set yourself back and, and perpetually are in this cycle of, oh, is, is he the right guy? Is he the right guy? Is he the right guy? Um, and, and so, you know, you'd like to think that that's not there, but you're already hearing some of those conversations now with Archie. And I, I tend to agree with you that perhaps the, you know, kind of true rebuild to get it where he wants it is a longer process than people want it to be uh, and things like that. But it's a, it, it's interesting, which, which I guess segues to this, to one of the other questions and I'm going to, I'll use another to, to, to segue to something else, but this one was, can I, you win at a Kentucky or North Carolina level again, or is it going to remain just another program in the state along with Purdue, Notre Dame and Butler? And, and one of the people who responded, I think it was Gasaway made the point that like being lumped in with, uh, you know, Purdue, Butler, and Notre Dame is not necessarily a bad thing given success that um, you know some of those programs have had, as, and and in recent years comparative to the success that IU has actually had. Um, so I don't. I think that's probably uh, worded as a little bit more of a put down than it should be as as being one of those. But um, I, I guess if you kind of ignore the second part of the question, the first is really 
can IU win at the Kentucky, North Carolina, you know, Duke, Kansas level again? Uh, what, what's your gut reaction to that question, and, and how long does that take to be able to do that? I, I say yes, they can, but it's really going to take an uh, amount of time to get that foundation set of offense, defense, and recruiting and doing the, the academics correct, that third piece. And, and Archie's doing two of the three. He's getting better at defense, and he's got the academics and the recruiting despite the, the, the recent misses, uh, which we'll talk about later. I think there's a good question about the offense right now is basically a talent issue. Uh, uh, three or four weeks ago, we talked about getting his offense got better shots than Crean's offense. It just didn't go in. So that's about getting better players in um, as shooters. So I, I think it's on its way. But North Carolina and Kentucky both have had traditional programs, and they both have had slides, but they've made really great hires. Kentucky brought in Patino when they were down, and he rebuilt that. And then Gillespie later on, that was a couple of bad years, and they brought in Calipari. Uh, North Carolina got one of their own in Matt Doherty, and that wasn't working out after Bill Guthridge took over for Dean Smith, and that didn't work out. That's kind of like a Mike Davis situation uh, there to keep the assistant. And then, boom, they didn't mess around, and they got a good guy in, in Williams. Our only hope is that, Archie is that guy because if this is strikeout number four, and it could very well be if he doesn't win in three or four years, then that's number four. Then the answer is no. They're not going to get back to Kentucky, North Carolina until another five or six years. They need someone, whether it's Archie or the next guy, to come in and in five or six years win. The brand name will then take care of itself. And so that's, that's why I'm a little patient. I know there are a lot of fans, and I saw some Twitter action today that aren't patient, and I get that as well. But I do believe they can keep elevating that a little bit higher uh, than than the Purdue Notre Dame Butler level. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think those are, you know, the teams that were thrown out in this are pretty high bars to to look at. And I also think that when you look at a, you know, Kentucky and Duke and Kansas to a lesser extent, you know, the way that they're recruiting and the guys that they're getting, it's really a different model than what Archie wants to do. I think the North Carolina one becomes interesting because they've been well publicized. There haven't been as many one and dones there. A lot of higher end recruits, but not the highest of the high. Although this year they had, you know, Kobe White and, and Nasir Little both, you know, be one and done guys. But that hasn't been typically how they've built things there. So I think if you want to look for one of those as a, I guess, a blueprint or or at least that is maybe more like the way Archie's trying to do it, that would be the one. But I don't think that happens. Uh, overnight because IU hasn't really been up with those programs for a while at this point, even toward the end of Knight's tenure, weren't winning uh, along the level that that some other teams were there. So um, it's just been a long time since it's been there. So to think that all of a sudden anybody is going to take it back that way uh, feels like a little bit of a stretch. I, I have one more thing. I think the ghost of Coach Knight is exactly what we need in order to get this program back. I don't think Bob Knight hanging over this program is a negative trying to live up to everything. I think we need to take the great things that Knight did and put them back into the program. I think that's been missing for 20 years. And that is getting good kids in here who go to class, who want to be here, play some defense, get some good offense, and win basketball games. And I know Knight struggled his last seven years, but he got it to a level. What's wrong with modeling that? What's, you know, UCLA's had problems too, and I don't know who all the Ghost series has been all about. But programs like that, Georgetown is struggling a little bit. Um, let's take what Indiana basketball was and put it back. So, so let's not – and I'm not a big Knight fan the way he treated people, but I'm a great Knight fan the way he ran his basketball side of the program. What's wrong with having that be 
the goal of what Archie Miller needs to do or whoever is the savior of Indiana basketball. I don't think Tom Crean did that, and, and that's not a horrible knock on him, and I know Calvin Sampson didn't, and, and Davis just couldn't. So, you know, that, that, that to me explains uh, we're missing that Indiana stuff, and this is the closest it's been, in my opinion, in a long time. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with embracing the expectations that were set forth by the success that was had and, and you know, keeping the majority of what was done to get you there and weeding out the parts that you didn't like at the time or in retrospect, you know, didn't don't like and uh, and go from there, which I guess is a good segue into one of the other questions, which I, I'll use to, we've talked about this topic from an IE standpoint in, in terms of uh, the question was essentially, it, it, would having an IU guy have helped uh, or have been met with more success. I saw a little bit of that crop up uh, even today or, or yesterday when uh, Michael Lewis was announced as an assistant at UCLA. And you know, a lot of people saying, oh, well, you know, need to find him a spot on the staff. You can make that argument at the time when Archie's coming in, I guess. Now it's like, well, you gotta, you're basically arguing that you need to fire one of the assistants. And I'm not sure that anybody's in a great position to, um, y- you know, to, to be able to, to suggest who that would be or why. Um, but uh, we'll kind of use that to talk about the, the new coaches in the big 10. So Juwan Morgan or Juwan Howard, see, I'm doing the opposite of whatever it is to Juwan Morgan. Now, um, you know, he comes in to replace John Beeline at Michigan. He's a guy that doesn't have head coaching experience, uh, had been, you know, been with the Miami heat since 2013, uh, in charge of their defense played a big role there and their defenses has typically been pretty good. And, and certainly you would assume that his NBA connections, uh, might help him gain early momentum. I think Penny Hardaway is going to be the, you know, kind of easy comparison of, can he do something similar there? I don't know that that's true, but uh, in listening to, I think it was the, uh, the CBS uh, college basketball podcast this week, you know, one of the things that they talked about was it it actually might've been one shining podcast. They, They basically talked about what Penny and Mike Miller are selling to these guys is the NBA vision, uh, if you will, and, and how to get there. Uh, and, and so you could see Juwan Howard being able to sell some of that, even though that it becomes a bit of a departure from what Michigan has been. Uh, they've certainly put some guys in the, in the NBA. They've had guys leave early recently, but I think the challenge for him will be as his first head coaching gig, you're losing, uh, Luke Yaklich because I think he's going to go be an assistant someplace else. I think at Texas, I want to say, um, so you lose the guy who really helped get things you know, the ship righted defensively for Michigan, you lose Beeline, who is really the offensive mastermind. And so now as, as Juwan Howard, you've got to establish yourself uh, in your own system that probably doesn't look like uh, what was already in place with, with a set of other players that you really don't have a lot of chance to change at this point in the season. So I'll be curious to see if he can even start to figure out what a Michigan team coached by Juwan Howard is going to look like coming into this year. But, but do you buy the, I'm not going to get into the Jay Williams, like change the culture, that whole kind of, you know, narrative around hiring a, a Michigan guy to do it. But do you think that's important? Is that the right move in their case, but not every case? Uh, what's your general you know, thoughts on, on Juwan Morgan going to Michigan or Juwan Howard going to Michigan, man, I'm going to just butcher this for the entire season. I'm sure. You know, look at some of the guys who've gone back to their alma maters from the pro ranks uh, Penny has an advantage because he was in AAU, and I think Mike Miller was also in the AAU. So they've been around that for a while and know some of the players and the teams and could get in, in there. Um, but, you know, Georgetown, Patrick Ewing is, is, has struggled. Chris Mullen just left uh, St. John's. 
it's it's not just as easy as having a name. And those are great pro players too, maybe a little bit older than Jawan Howard. I think Howard needs to, you know, get a good staff with some veteran coaches on it uh, to be there. Nothing is harder than your first job uh, as a head coach. When you're assistant, you believe you're ready and you have great ideas, and you're all excited, and you go in and you put your program in, and that first game comes, and nothing works, and then you're rethinking everything. And you could have the best intentions. And that's not to say that Michigan's going to drop and drop far. It's just going to be a challenge for anyone. Penny will have a hard time. Um, he did this year uh, and not win. He probably didn't have the horses. But those guys have difficult times uh, coaching uh, early on. So I don't buy that you have to have – uh, your own school's guy. I think Michigan, at a time, they enjoyed winning under Beeline, but I, I believe there was a rift uh, with, with some of the past teams and the past players. And it seems to me like this is a this was an opportunity to try to bring some of those players back into the fold and thinking that, you know what, there might not be too many options out there, so why not take a chance and hope that it works? And if it works, it's going to be great. And if not, we could say that we gave it a shot. And I just think it becomes hard to fire uh, a Chris Mullen. It becomes hard to Patrick Ewing and Jawan Howard when when those are famous guys from your school. And that puts pressure then on an athletic director and, and maybe there becomes two or three changes. So I'm not a big fan of that unless it's been an established coach uh, for whatever level of your program that you want your program to be. And I know some would all, say that Alford was that I don't think and I'll fill in for Ryan I just don't think he has won at the level that Indiana needed uh, at this time and and people can rightfully say neither is Archie and that that's fair uh, a fair thing but um, I think Alford causes more problems because if he doesn't work out in four or five years and you got to get rid of him and then there's more rift and and again going back to the previous conversation there haven't been good decisions so I think Howard has a chance to be pretty good. Anytime you're in the NBA, you, you learn good basketball, and he's a defensive coach, so I believe in defense first. That scares me a little bit, being an IU fan. Uh, but I think he's going he's gonna to struggle a little bit to, uh, to get going. It'll be a couple years before he can solid, you know, solidly be where he needs to and where Michigan was under Beeline. Yeah, I think his, you know, it'll be interesting to see who he goes out and recruits, but I do think there'll be, need to be kind of a changeover in, in personnel where it'll be maybe a little bit more like IU's transition from Green to Archie Miller as opposed to, you know, the one at Butler from Thad Mata to Chris Holtman, uh, which is always one that gets thrown out. I, the, the other thing, uh, I, I would agree with you. I think given the timing of Beeline leaving, they had somewhat limited options. I think taking a chance on a guy who, uh, meant a lot to to a, a an era of that program that people loved. Uh, I think is a little bit easier to do, but I do think the the Mullen one, if if is probably the biggest cautionary tale in that regard, because it it seemed to become, you know, at first you could kind of say, yeah, he didn't have the players, but they really started to get some good players in there, and the team just never really seemed to get better. Uh, and then yeah, you get to a point where you're you know, kind of have to fire a, a a legend at your school. And, and also, I don't know that he, I don't believe he had a, much of a coaching background at all before he got into it. I think there was some of the aspects of the job that he didn't ever really embrace from some of the things that I had read uh, about that, whether Howard is the same way, uh, remains to be seen. But I thought it was a, a, a relatively good hire given the timing of everything that was there. Uh, the, other, the other new coach uh, is Fred Hoiberg, who replaces Tim Miles. Uh, Jared and Alex uh, e e or 
interviewed Miles on the podcast on the brink this week. It was a it was an interesting listen as well, just getting some of his thoughts about college basketball. They talked a little about the the dust up with Tom Crean and some different things like that. I think Miles, uh, for those who you know followed him on social media and different things, is it seems like a, to be a pretty engaging guy. Hoiberg comes in, uh, had won about two thirds of his games at Iowa State, where he went to school, left for the NBA, didn't really have success there. Um, at Iowa State, made four NCAA tournaments in five seasons, and and really made a tradition. You know, he was the Eric Musselman at Nevada before Eric Musselman. <laughs> Uh, in terms of taking a lot of transfers and really trying to build the Iowa State program through those transfers. He's already doing something similar at Nebraska where he walked into a scenario where there's a lot of guys graduating uh, and not a whole lot left in the cupboard, particularly if Isaiah Roby opts to keep his name in the draft. So he's been pretty heavy on the transfer market in terms of uh, JUCO guys and and other uh, major conference transfers. What what were your thoughts on the Hoiberg hire and, and how long do you think he sticks at Nebraska? Or is this really just kind of a a stepping stone for him getting back into the college game. I think it's a great hire for for Nebraska. They they have a lot going for them as far as facilities and things of that nature. And and Hoiberg will probably rebuild that quick with with these JUCOs. I don't know how long standing that is. I think sometimes you got to get your you know three and four year players in. We'll see if that can work for him. But I think anytime you go to the pros and spend some time and come back, you're a better coach for college. And I think Hoiberg is going to to be that. And it, it, it's again from an Indiana perspective, it's a little scary because that's a team you're you're competing with. We don't like to say that, but we're competing with to get back up to the top. And, and Hoiberg scares me uh, a lot more than than Collins and and uh, Patino at Minnesota and McCaffrey at Iowa really does. I I think that he can be uh, move Nebraska up potentially. Well, again, we'll have to see it. It's all speculation right now. But but Hoiberg is 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 going to cause trouble, I think, in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I like that hire as well. I question a little bit of of does he truly see this as a destination job? I would assume not. It was a good reentry point for him, and I think he had his pick of maybe a few places to come back. And I think being a Midwestern guy, maybe this was an easy reentry point. But I also don't know that if he's made the decision to come back to the college game. This isn't your alma mater. There will be better jobs out there if he does a good job of turning them around. Um, that would be, if I was a Nebraska fan, that would be my concern of how long he'll actually be there. But I do agree that um, it's a good hire for them. And in a situation where you knew, really, regardless of Miles leaving, you were going to have a lot of roster turnover because you had so many guys. You had a you know kind of loaded upper class at that point that was going to leave. So I think you bring in a guy who's who's shown an ability in the past to be able to mesh some different guys together and, and cobble together uh, some solid performances from a bunch of guys, from a bunch of transfers and things like that. So I think from that standpoint, I, I think it's good. It just is a longevity wise. You don't really know. Um, but I don't think the longevity question is, is one that is based in his inability to win games. Just more of, is that really where he wants to be uh, as we look forward? But uh, time will tell on that a couple of interesting hires with some NBA pedigree uh, you know, heading to the Big Ten. So, uh, you know, makes a, a league that was as tough as any last year, potentially a little bit tougher if those guys are able to really take what they learned and, and have used in the NBA and, uh, and be able to use that at the college level. So coming up in our third segment, we'll answer your questions, which include an interesting one about whether or not Archie Miller should have handled his transition years a little bit more like baseball coach Jeff Mercer. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call.
Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni. And remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason. And after every game, we send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. It's time now for our mailbag. All questions were submitted via Twitter, as well as our private IU basketball discussion discussion community, which you can learn more about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, and the first one comes from Aaron, who has been uh, covering IU baseball for us in the in the discussion community. I thought this was a really interesting question. Um, so the gist of this was that, you know, he, he led into this with, I think Archie will succeed in time should he have been more willing to adjust to Crean's offensive style a bit at first. Uh, and he talked about the example with the uh, IU's new baseball coach, Jeff Mercer, and and he basically has made it clear that he's taking the opposite approach. He's a big proponent of small ball analytics, but he also inherited a team that was was built on power. So he's taken that and and run with it, and the team hit more home runs than ever on their way to winning the Big Ten. Uh, we will not mention the Big Ten uh, tournament performance, which appears uh, an event that uh, has claimed yet another IU sports team. Uh, and so down the road, he's going to shift more to what he wants to do and the way that his you know philosophy uh, would normally be. And so, so Aaron's question is essentially whether Archie should have tried to do something different in terms of meshing and, and taking the Korean guys who were the more run and gun uh, offensive style, install his defense, and then uh, you know kind of more gradually transition over to what his own offense will look like. Uh, I thought it was a really interesting question and an interesting parallel to have between two different IU uh, coaches that started within about a year of each other. Coach, what was your gut reaction to the to the question? I generally say, coach your style right from the start. And if you're going to lose lose early, and then when your recruits come in, the it's been set. And I think that's what happened in the pack line for year one, year two, and now in year three when your team is now your guys, uh, the upperclassmen can pass it on. That might be a basketball-specific idea, and baseball being a little more individual, a pitcher and a hitter, uh, that it's more a one-on-one in a team game. Uh, so if someone individually uh, against this pitcher is more likely to hit a home run, that you let him have his home run swing. Uh, basketball is more fluid, and football is more fluid as, as well. Uh, and the thing is that uh, everyone says that Coach Crean's offense, Coach Crean had better offensive players. If there's a problem with Archie Miller, it's that, okay, he didn't have good shooters, and you think that he should have recruited someone rather than, you know, Finnessy or Demisey or someone else to come in right away and be a shooter or even this year to be a shooter. But I, I wish I knew the show number to go back where um, Jared had those stats from Synergy, and Archie had more. Uh, efficient shots in his offense, but the percentages were a lot lower. So uh, I think Archie's offense gets a, a bad rap, especially sometimes when your star player's uh, posse doesn't like the fact that uh, he's not scoring 35 a game, um, and that comes out in Twitter, and then that becomes a life of its own. So, um, you know, I, I think that um, – I, I think you got to coach your style. And, and that's one thing. I'll compliment Coach Crean. When he came in and had those three years uh, – you know, with basic walk-ons and first-year players, he played his style. And when the recruits were there, it was it was ready to go. So I I I believe you should coach your style, but I also think baseball it might be apples and oranges as well. Yeah, I think that 
I think the challenge, I think there's a couple challenges. I, I tend to agree with you. I think one is if you believe that you wanted to still really instill the pack line, I'm not sure that the discipline required to play that fits very well with, I want you to be super disciplined on one end and really stick to the principles of this and be really freewheeling and, uh, and, and more, um, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it, just freewheeling on the other end, I guess, is um, the better way to say it. And so I, I think those become kind of a weird combination. And then in addition to that, uh, I, I think that at some point, you know, you, you see already now that there's people wanting to say he's on the hot seat, different things like that. Like, I, I don't think you can let yourself say, well, like, well, I didn't have a chance to, you know, the meter is going to start running at some point and the meter is going to start running pretty much whenever you start. So you better maximize the amount of time that you are going to have and the amount of rope that you're going to get by playing the way that you want to play. Because I think coming back after the fact and saying, well, I tried to adapt this with, you know, and, and kind of undercut what the style that I wanted to play was for this reason. If that doesn't work, um, then I think it raises other questions about you. We'll never know if it would have worked, but I do think it was just kind of a, would have been a weird combination to see, you know, played one way on, on the defensive end of the floor and one on the, on the other. But I do think it was a really interesting question. So, uh, appreciate that one coming in. Uh, next one. Do you think this is from Rick? Uh, do you think the swings and misses at top recruits this year was partially due to IU having a losing streak mid season or the fact that IU did not make the tournament? Neither. And, and no, no disrespect, um, to Rick a asking the question. I don't think it helps. Uh, I think the swings and misses lately were just, um, players that Archie had got in on late. And I actually look at it like you get in late on a top kid and you're in the final two or three or four, like Quinones and even the kid who, um, the, the Virginia Tech kid, and, and then he goes to North Carolina. You, you do worry a little bit about did that sway Keon Brooks, okay? But you got Quinones and Brooks who have eyes on the NBA right away. And, and no offense to them. I, I'm glad they, they made the choices where they go, but is, is that type of mentality what we want at, at, at Indiana where you already got one foot out the door? And, and so maybe the Morton situation hurts a little bit and maybe the losing there, but you know what? Purdue's pretty good. And, and, and not every young man in the nation wants to come to Indiana and they're finding reasons not to. Sometimes the reason they don't come to Indiana is because they prefer Purdue and Morton, pick Purdue over Michigan, Ohio State, and and this is before Beeline left, unless he knew something. Those are some good programs that he said no to in his final four. Same with Trendon Watford. Uh, that's a little – but the LSU one, he wants to make a name for himself, and he's going to be there probably one year. So these are all, you know, swings and misses, but we're swinging. The, the, these kids are giving Archie a look, and they're and he's getting them on campus, and he's getting them close, and, and so – if this continues, yeah, but two Mr. Basketballs in a row, several kids from Indiana, all of the stuff that fans wanted to see is happening. Uh, and you're going to miss some of these guys. And you just can't win every, every recruiting battle. Uh, some other schools are pretty good at this game too. And, and um, so uh, I don't think it's either. I, I, winning will help, obviously. But I, I don't think that the, these misses had anything to do with it. I just think they wanted to go elsewhere for personal reasons. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. You know, it wasn't certainly if it's making the tournament, then Quinones going to Memphis, they didn't make the tournament either. Um, 
I think it's just different preferences of what people want. And I do think I agree with you where it was a little bit late to get in uh, on some of them. So I don't, I, I don't think it helped um, to watch them lose games, but I, but by the same token, I think you could look at the ability to write the ship a bit at the end of the year speaks well to what the staff can accomplish uh, as we, as we move forward. So maybe it offsets it a little bit. It's a little bit tough to say, but I, I think it m- may be a, a small factor, but I, I definitely would, would not view it as a big reason uh, that those guys uh, opted to go elsewhere. So that will do it for us on this week's episode of the assembly call. Thanks again for the questions. We've got a few good ones. We'll carry over to next week. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for assembly call, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. That was good. Uh, we will do this good other job. question. The uh, the bat. I think it's Batman, but it's MN. Like it's maybe something in Minnesota. Uh, the question was: You've been tasked with assembling an all-time Indiana team. Who do you take at center? Todd Meyer or Uwe Blob? Jared did clarify that these were the only options, and it was said that these were the only options. I would then question whether it is truly an all-time Indiana team if these are the only options, but. <laughs> but if you were forced to pick between one of those two gentlemen, who would you uh, who would you go with? Man, I tell you what, it, Uwe Blob brings back some great memories. Um, my dad passed away 15 years ago, and he was a big IU fan, and he always used to just yell at the TV screen, Uwe Blob, drop a post pass. <laughs> so I might I might just pick him just out of sentimental reasons, yeah, but just just for honor honoring dad. I think Todd Meyer probably was a little I don't know. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Uwe Blob. Uh, he he was productive at, at to some extent. I I probably I would too. I remember I remember growing up that one or both of my parents referred to him as Hands of Stone. So, yeah. um, <laughs> so I do remember that. Yeah, Todd, yeah, Todd Meyer was. I don't really have. I mean, I remember him playing, obviously, but I. Uh, oh, he filled really, his role too. Uve at the very least was more memorable, I guess, yeah, based he, on both of our responses. So, if that's really what we're going for. And Todd uh-huh. was on that championship team, and he filled a yeah. role. So don't want to don't want to you know say anything bad yeah. about Todd. But agreed. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we'll hang on to the other uh, the other question that's there for next week. But uh, 
Anyway, all right. Any uh, any good bachelor party stories that you want to you want to end uh, with? I, I don't know that I can share any bachelor no, party stories. Right. But, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to put you on. You the... ha- if you haven't been to Nashville, um, and you like country music, or you just like lots of people, I, I say go to Broadway, Nashville. Um, Tootsie's was uh, the famous bar, and some people like, and some people don't. We we had uh, we went there at two o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday, stayed till about six thirty, and. We dominated. Uh, my my son and his friends were were the hit of of the bar, which made me extremely proud. And a lot of chanting, and uh, there was some. I'm I'm old man. I, I watch these young guys try to work some game, and I, the game's changed. I mean, it's like adding a three pointer. You don't have to though, doesn't it? Really? So I came home and gave my wife a big hug and said, "I'm just glad I'm not out doing it." It's just. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 game the game has changed and but it's funny watching these young guys uh try to have a <laughs> hook up i guess so it it was interesting i'm glad it's over i'm glad everyone survived um i think we broke a window at the airbnb throwing the football around <laughs> we had a couple hangover situations that will remain silent all right fair enough but, um, did anyone yeah. get did anyone get arrested no, we were one. Right. We took we See, took some that's... odds on who might be the first one to get arrested. The two dudes who drove two uh two of those birds two point two miles from downtown to the Airbnb. One of them crashed. I'm mm. he could have got probably arrested for driving under whatever. I don't know if you can do that on one of those birds, but but nobody. All right, well nobody did though. So that's always so the, no one uh, did, and uh, that that's that's a good thing. And we got uh, June eighth. Um, uh, I'll be broke paying helping to pay for this wedding but i'm it's a great great thing to be a dad and have your kid get married so awesome all right he did a good recruiting job good (laughs) good work good work brandon good work yeah (laughs) all right well uh thanks for joining i we'll figure out who's going to be here next week i think jared will be back um i have no idea what i have going on i'm on a day-to-day basis between end of year tryouts and school stuff so uh next next thursday feels like a world away yeah. from right now so I, i'm good for next thursday not the other thursday yeah, that's the, thursday that'll be right yeah, before the wedding right before the wedding all right well, we'll get that all sorted out but uh, appreciate everybody joining us on a thursday night and we'll uh we'll see what we can come up to talk about next week if if nothing else exciting comes on so keep sending in questions and things like that and we will uh do our best to answer those and keep talking to my hoops so Appreciate you being on, Coach. Appreciate everybody for being here. Good job, uh, Andy. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you, sir. See ya. See ya. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim.